Episode five. Welcome back, everyone. Um, hope you enjoyed getting to know Johnny. Uh, this episode, we have another special guest, um, Bubba Van, who is Chris's business partner. They also have a very cool past and have remained super close. Um, they are in business together. It's great to see them grow. So uh, Bubba being on is an interesting one. He is married with children, um, has just an incredible life now, and, and really attributes that to following the 12 steps and, and really finding his spirituality and everything that goes along with this process. So um, he goes, um, starts with his early life, um, a quick, quick preview into his um, path through addiction and into recovery, um, golf, fraternities, business, uh, relationships, everything that you can think of. Um, and then we really um, felt it to be important to go through um, more information and education uh, after hearing from some of you um, on the the experiences of detox and rehab. I know this seems foreign to a lot of us, especially if we you know haven't been through them or, or hopefully won't. Um, but to me, I, I think sometimes we all paint our own picture in our minds about what we think things are. Um, and in reality, it's it's not not too bad, which again, I, I hope that by the intro you guys are really feeling like, um, this thing is starting to come to life for you and that you're you're feeling empowered by having the knowledge that we're hopefully giving to you. So um, the experiences through detox and rehab certainly are not pretty, uh, but they're really not as bad as you might think. And so Chris and Bubba both give us their their accounts of going through each of these multiple times. Um, and then we end up just kind of finishing off by answering some questions that have been submitted. Thank you so much for everybody that has written in, that has had questions. Um, we want to continue to blow this thing wide open, um, answer any and every question you have. Um, that's what we're here for. This network that um, Chris has through his family, friends, everybody around us. And as I mentioned in the first episode, this immediate family um, that you gain when you, when you open yourself up to step into this world um, is just such a great resource. We have the answers. We want to walk through it with you. Um, so take a listen, um, continue to send in your questions, uh, and thanks again. since we um, have recorded and we are bear with us because we are recording from three different places as we social distance between North Carolina and Texas but really excited to um, have probably Chris's right-hand man or or Bubba's right-hand man Chris <laughs> Bubba Van on with us today um, and I really I'm pumped about this because I know that um, the two of you have become super close you've gone through a lot together you are now business partners etc but Bubba, welcome. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, thank you so much, Bubba, for being on with us today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Yeah. So before we dig into a couple of specifics and some questions that people um, sent in that I really do want to get to, I just want to hear a little bit more about your story. I'm actually not super familiar with it. I know the basics, but and we don't have to go into the depths of the depths. I know everybody's got a lot of, lot of detail in their stories, but what did you go through? Like, what's your, what's kind of your backstory of drugs and addiction? Um, <clears throat> so I, uh, you know, I experimented with uh, alcohol early in high school and then uh, 
you know, I looked at people uh, doing drugs and I was like, oh my God, they're going to die and go to hell immediately. <laughs> and, uh, you know, a, a couple of years later, I was like, you know, or a year later, I was like, you know, let's give that a try. So I went to high school on the uh, uh, Texas and Mexico border. And, you know, at an early age, you can go into Mexico at any age and drink. And so, uh, you know, we had unlimited resources and we could go into Mexico on Friday nights and go to the discos and uh, basically where they're bumping music and you dance and, and you drink with a bunch of American kids in Mexico uh, at any age. And uh, so I just, you know, I really loved alcohol. I loved the, produ uh, the effect produced by alcohol and experimenting with marijuana and the like. And I started, uh, you know, trying, pill you know, pills and Coke and, you know, I really liked it. And, uh, you know, I was starting to have some consequences and got a suspension from school, but, you know, from being caught with, you know, they, they lost their sense of humor when I showed up to school with a pistol, a pocket knife, some some pills, an 18 pack and some marijuana. Uh, yeah. Yep. So they, they, uh, they told my dad that they were basically going to suspend me for, you know, the spring semester and send me to an alternative learning school. And, uh, and my, uh, basically my parents pulled me out, put me in a private school. And then I went back the following year and kind of started dating a girl that I really liked for a long time. She was a really good influence on me. She introduced me to the God of my understanding, you know, now who I believe in Jesus Christ. And I really cleaned up my act. I was able to get my golf game back together and, and go and play golf in college for a couple of years at a small D3 school in Texas. You know, I, you know, I stayed sober, didn't drink, didn't drug, didn't do any of that stuff. Basically, was got to be my true authentic self. And then, uh, you know, at the end, about the end of my sophomore year, I, you know, I was the only guy on my freshman, on my golf team in the freshman year that didn't drink. And then after my uh, freshman year, I started drinking that summer. That girl and I broke up and uh, I started drinking again and kind of went after it with a fever like I haven't ever, you know, had before. It was kind of like my anchor. And, uh, you know, I just kind of really leaned into it and transferred schools and went to TCU to be in a fraternity and uh, uh, decided I didn't like that too much. I actually got a spot on the golf team at TCU through a buddy of mine uh, named Albert. It was a real stud from South Texas. And uh, he got me a spot on the team. And then the first, the first meeting, the coach was like, hey, we're going to be drug testing, you know, starting here real soon. And uh, I never went to it. So I, I did one tryout, made the team had one meeting and then he started talking about drug testing and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to do the fraternity thing. And I'm out. <laughs> yeah. If you're going to be testing for marijuana, I wasn't doing really hard drugs at that time, but, and then I be, kind of became a lone wolf, just kind of hung out, you know, did my own thing and uh, with a certain, you know, group of guys and, and just, you know, kind of fell into drugs pretty hard. And when I broke up with the, with the girl from high school between my freshman year and sophomore year in college, I met a girl at a golf tournament. Uh, that I was officiating over my between my freshman and sophomore years of college, and I was still playing golf in college, and and she was a Mexican girl, and uh, just like an incredible swing, blonde hair, I was like in love, Gaga, and so I dated her off and on through like all through high school, and then um, fast forward, I'm about to, you know, a year before I'm going to graduate TCU, and you know, I, I always, you know, had my grades together just because I knew if I didn't do well in school my parents would pull me out of school and I really I enjoyed college a lot I kind of maximized that opportunity and uh, <clears throat> I started dating another girl and pretty much broke it off with the girl from Mexico and and I you know I, I was I was full bore in the you know full-blown pill addiction uh, drinking like I mean that's all we did I mean just straight out right yeah oxycotton Vicodin 
and uh, that's just what we did. You know, we drank, we smoked, we used pills. I mean, and you know, we would cr crash study for uh, tests. And I, you know, I was a good test. Luckily, I was a decent student. You know, did pretty decent in the classroom. And uh, when I got out, she and I basically got married a month after I got out of college. I went to work. You know. And she said, look, I, you know, I don't mind your drinking, but like, you can't be smoking marijuana in the house. And, you know, and I was like, okay. So I basically hid the pills from her and drank like a fish. And, and that marriage was like super toxic for a couple of years. And, and uh, we were married for, I think we were married for three years. It took a year to get divorced. And basically I started a pretty lucrative construction career and then blessed her along, on the, along that road. And, you know, I would definitely say drugs and alcohol ruined that relationship. And it was just out of control. I mean, it was, it was all day, every day, you know, uh, I like to say that, you know, I would take little vacations in the afternoon. Basically I'd, I'd grind it from about eight to two every day. And then about, you know, three o'clock, my father was an entrepreneur and, and he, you know, basically, you know, led me down that path. And I, I knew that I wanted to be a real estate developer in college. And I, you know, when you don't have any money to be a developer, basically what you got to do is you got to go build houses and save your money to become a developer. And so, that was kind of my, the path I was taking. So I've always been an overachiever in the, in the career world, but um, my insides were just absolute death. And so I was using, uh, you know, I would go to work and I'd grind it out from eight to two real hard every day. And then I would start, you know, drinking and using basic, mostly just pills and alcohol. The marijuana was starting to make me a little uh, paranoid. And I, you know, now that I had a bunch of stress in my life, I wasn't enjoying the paranoia. Um, <laughs> um you know, I, I would take these little vacations every evening and, you know, my vacation vacations I would take just kept getting longer and longer and longer. And pretty much I was drinking and using all day long. And uh, after about three years of marriage, you know, her fighting every day, us, us fighting every day, she left one morning and uh, she never came back. So I called up the girl that I dated in high school's mom because I knew she had gone to a 12-step fellowship. And I said, Hey, you know, can you tell me about the, those, those meetings that you go to? And so basically I went to my first meeting and it was about November 21st of 2006. My first sobriety date was November 28th of 2006. And, uh, I didn't need to go to detox. You know, my detox was rough as hell. You know, I was in my mid twenties and I was pretty, uh, you know, pretty healthy individual. And, uh, you know, my detox wasn't, you know, it was hell, but it wasn't undoable. You know, so I got, I got about 18 months sober and, uh, you know, I was doing really good. And, and about, I don't know, about after a year of sobriety, my mom was going through a book and she's like, Hey, I got a, I got this card from, from Mariana, the girl from Mexico dated like 1999 or something. And, uh, she was like, you should call her. So I called her up and basically I said, Hey, how you doing? Let's, uh, you know, I'd love to come see you. Uh, and she was like, cool. I'd love to see you too. And, and I said, well, you know, when can I plan a trip? And she said, uh, well, if you really want to see me bad enough, you'll wait six months to see me. Mm. And that was June. That was June. She didn't see me till six months later. I think it was December. And we were married six months after that. You know, she, she knew she couldn't live without me. That's why she made me wait. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, uh, she, uh, smart woman. Yeah, knew, for sure. She, she knew that I was after her. She 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 was the love of my life. And uh, so the night I asked her to marry, uh, the night I asked her to marry me, you know, we were talking. She was like, "You need." I was like super nervous. I was disconnected. I was in Mexico, and I was like, "She was like, you know, can't you just relax and celebrate the night we're gonna get get engaged?" I'm like, "Yeah, you know what?" So I I drank a rum and coke, and oh my god, it was like, 
Yeah. I'm back, baby. Yep. And, uh, <laughs> and, she, and about a month later, she's like, you know what? I think I decided I like you better not drinking. And I was like, well, it's too late for that. <laughs> and uh, I, I drank and used, you know, I started drinking every day. And then a month later, I started using uh, opiates again, pills, you know, and I drank and used every single day for two and a half years. And then the next time, and then uh, November 9th of 2010, my sobriety date, November, I'm sorry, November 8th of 2010 is my sobriety date. I checked into a, a detox in uh, Austin, Texas. And, and basically, you know, my parents were like, you know, you're a college graduate. You know, you don't need to go to detox. You don't need to go to rehab. You just need to basically pull yourself up by the bootstraps and get sober. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, you guys don't understand what I'm going through and the abuse I've been putting my body through. And uh, the detox was absolute hell. I didn't drink caffeine for six months, and I'm a caffeine junkie. Mm. Like I didn't have a cup. I didn't have a cup of tea. I didn't have a cup of coffee. Like I mean, nothing. No, not a Coke. I mean, my anxiety was it was hell. And uh, if fear, you know, if fear could keep me sober, that would have been sufficient. Because I mean, it was it was the worst experience of my life trying to get off of the, the opiate addiction. In fact, there was this doctor in Austin. And he said, uh, he's like, I would recommend you being on uh, Suboxone for the rest of your life. He's like, your, your stage of addiction, surprisingly, you haven't done any damage to your body that I can tell in your blood work. But um, at your, you know, you're a death stage addict. And he said, I would, you know, I wouldn't recommend you trying to go completely sober the rest of your life. I think you need a little uh, uh, medical assistance. And I was like, you know what? No, thank you. I've had sobriety before and I really... I want to get sober again and uh, I want to be sober. I want to live free in this world. And yeah, it, it was the scariest feeling of my life and it was the hardest thing I've ever been through. But uh, I went to uh, detox and then I went to treatment for 45 days. I was on detox meds for basically 21 days, which is, which is a long time, you know, but uh, it was a long taper and uh, it was hell. And basically I, you know, I've been sober and married to that same woman now for you know, <laughs> nine and a half years. The best. I love it. <laughs> so yeah, so that's that's yeah. It. And and question. That's impressive that you yeah. that you said no to the Suboxone offer because we talked about Suboxone in minor detail on the last podcast episode with John, and a lot of people, you know, will accept that as a crutch because it does make you feel that warm sensation in your chest, and it it takes your fear away, and it and it it's used very well for uh, a detox where you can you know wean off the drugs and not have as much pain. But, you know, people that stay on it long term, I've seen a lot of people go to rehab for that itself, you know, and mm -hmm. for you to, to say, no, I, I just want to be completely clean is, is if you were, sounds like you were licked. I mean, you were, you were done like I was. Yeah, I was fried, absolutely fried. And, and I would just, I wanted to be free. I didn't want to be on another, you know, if I'm going to try to get, get clean, I want to be clean. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> That's just me. So what, what was different, I guess, you know, that time around, I would love to know, like, what was actually different? Was it the, you know, a combo of the relationship and just how you were feeling and just feeling done? And then, you know, what helped you get better? Like, what, what was the, what do you attribute as the thing that kind of helped you actually get better? Um, I think, uh, there's, I think that's a, you know, a twofold question for me. Uh, one was the first time I relapsed, uh, I was thinking, well, the only, basically my only relapse was <clears throat> I'm in Mexico. Nobody's going to see me. You know, maybe, I, maybe this was a false alarm. Like maybe I'm, maybe I was just an addict and I'm not an alcoholic. Maybe I can drink like a gentleman. 
Hmm. And so I, I, I thought, you know what, like, you know, what's a few drinks going to hurt? You know, like I'm still going to continue to work a spiritual program. I'm still going to help others. I'm still going to uh, do my disciplines and all that. And, uh, but I, I, let's just add a little alcohol into the, into the picture and the mental obsession kicked back in. Yeah. Once, yeah. Once that I bought into that mental obsession, mental obsession, and I bought that lie, like, you know, I'm convinced that I, you know, I qualify as an alcoholic and an addict. And I think that's important to know, you know, what you are. And, And my truth is, is that I can be addicted to anything that feels good, but especially drugs and alcohol. Yeah. And, and then uh, I had a really good adequate presentation at, uh, of how to stay sober at the last treatment center that I went to in uh, 2010. Yeah. And that seems to be kind of what we keep coming back to when Chris and I have continued to chat about how you actually get better and, and kind of like the, the approach that different places and people take to it and that there really is mm-hmm. kind of the strongest way, which is, I guess, and please correct me if I'm wrong, both of you, but it has to do with following the 12 steps um, and being on a similar program, correct? Absolutely. It's the, the, 12, uh, the 12 steps is the only thing that I've ever found that'll treat alcoholism for me. That's great. And, and, and I've, tried, I've tried psychiatrists, I've tried the gym, I've tried church, I've tried uh, life coaches, I've tried self-help books. I mean, I, I, I tried the gauntlet before I ever walked into a 12-step fellowship. Yeah. And it's it the last house on the block. It's, it seems to me that you're, you trying the gym and you trying a psychologist, and all, those are all the parts of it, right? It seems like the 12 mm-hmm. steps is the, is the thing that brings all of that together and that you need all of that together in order for it to continue to work. Um, that's what I'm learning. So I, I love, I love being able to talk about that. And thank you so much for sharing your story. I, I didn't know that. It's, it's great to hear. And I'm so glad that um, your wonderful wife uh, is a huge part of that as well. <laughs> um, so what I would love to kind of dive in a bit more on for today is just experiences going through detox. I know you hinted toward it, Bubba, but just the experience of detox and then the experience of rehab. A lot of people listening have have their own um, preconceived notions of what both of those could be or would be, um, and I'm sure going into it for the first time uh, for each of you, you just you might not have had any clue or you might have been scared to death. Uh, but let's start with detox. What what is detox like? And I'm going to let the two of you kind of chat um, and, and share stories. But I, you know, for somebody obviously that hasn't been through that, I know you've mentioned it's hard. But kind of take me through what that's like and you know length of time and any else anything else you guys can share yeah my experience with detoxes especially with opiate withdrawal is it's painful both physically and mentally and you know we have this this spiritual um hole inside of us that's just the best way to explain it and describe it is you're irritable restless and discontent and you know when we when we take alcohol and we take drugs we it fixes that and it it takes our fear away and anxiety away so it's really our solution for a long time and then you know as you use it 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 makes that worse when you when you uh, are detoxing off of it and you know my detoxes were the first two times I went to treatment were pretty bad because um, I was using heroin at the time and Oxycontin uh, and the, the rehab that I went to didn't do a, a, a medical detox. So I came cold turkey off of it. Now for opiate withdrawal, my experience was four to five days, pain was gone. Didn't have that pain in my legs where I had restless legs and, and felt like I had worked out for the first time in 10 years. 
the body aches kind of went away and, and mentally, you know, you do start to feel better, but it's kind of, it comes in waves where, where a bunch of fear will hit you and then anxiety will hit you and then it'll go away. And it's like, Oh, wow, I can get down with this. And it's kind of just up and down for the first part. The, the third time I went to detox, you know, I, I was on Suboxone and, and I got detoxed off of the heroin with Suboxone. And that really does help a lot. But once that Suboxone is completely gone, you're stuck with yourself again and you're stuck to your own mind without, without a solution. And that's why, you know, getting through, through the, the work and the 12 steps very quickly for me was, you know, as soon as I got into the work and submitted and got to a place where I started following some direction and really gave up on, on trying to manage and control my own life is when I started feeling well internally. And that spiritual piece started to really get covered up and, and, you know, the pain and all that kind of stuff and the anxiety kind of just subsides through time. And I don't really remember the exact amount of days or time, but it goes away pretty quickly once you, once you just give up. Interesting. And it's, it's interesting that you say it's physically and mentally painful too. Um, I never really thought about that either. And Bubba, what's, what's been your experience? Similar, I assume? Um, yeah. So there's, um, you know, along that road, like I tried to quit, like, you know, that two and a half years of my last, I, I had a two and a half year rum and coke, I like to call it. Um, <laughs> I tried to quit like literally every, every Sunday. And, uh, you know, about Monday at 10 a.m., the pain was so bad. I was like, I can't do it. You know, like, you know, I don't want to, you know, scare your listeners because, you know, there is a, they can taper you down pretty slow, but I wanted to get free as soon as possible. I wanted that monster out of my body, you know, like I really wanted to be free again. And, so, I mean, they can make it comfortable for people nowadays, but you know, my experience was, uh, I did a fast taper and then I, and then they're like, Hey, let's, you know, this is going to be unbearable for you. Let's, let's go back to the slow pa- taper. So it did take 21 days for me to, but the mo- the emotional part was just the mental part was just for me, was just really hell on earth. I mean, it, um, you know, I wouldn't recommend going about it the way that I went about it. I'm, I'm pretty selfish. I like to think that I had the worst detox in the history of man. Mm. <laughs> but, uh, but I mean, it was, it was hell. I mean, it, 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 um, it sucked. I mean, just the, the emotional turmoil and the feeling like I'm going to have a heart attack for a couple hours every day, just the, you know, the gripping anxiety in my chest and the, it was brutal. It was nothing that I would ever want anybody that I care about to ever, 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 ever have to go through. It, it sucks. You know, the downtime, you know, I'm a, uh, kind of an ADD, you know, I need to stay busy, uh, Mm -hmm. extreme type A personality that likes to, I need to be doing stuff. And, uh, so I had a really hard time on, you know, when I was in treatment on Saturdays and Sundays when we didn't have structure. Monday through Friday when we had to go to class and we had to do this, we had to do that. But on Saturday and Sunday when we, you know, sit around and had a bunch of free time and I had time to think about myself and the mistakes I've made and how long is this going to last? Just basically the obsession was just, it was, uh, it was really tough, you know? Yeah. I can't imagine. I think going- staying busy. I was just going to say, I can't imagine going through the, pain from what it sounds like of detox after especially feeling the high that you guys were so used to and the 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 great things that that brought to you um it really does sound like you have to be in in the right mindset to really want to get better to get through that but i do also think that it is 
I can assume it would give people hope to hear that as long as, you know, once you get through that and, and take the time and make the effort to get through that, that that's at least the first step. Yeah. yeah. And sponsor, also that it's temporary. Yeah. My sponsor, uh, you know, was <clears throat> checked me in at, at when I got to treatment. He wasn't my sponsor when I got out of the treatment just because, you know, there's, there's laws, HIPAA laws and stuff, but he is my sponsor today. And, you know, I remember the first thing I asked him, I said, Chad, am I ever going to feel normal again? Like, just tell me, am I ever going to feel normal again? He's like, yeah, buddy, we got you. We got you. And, and, and I do, I mean, like, you know, I'm going on 10 years of sobriety and uh, you know, I don't, I don't think about drugs and alcohol at all anymore. You know, like it's just not a part of my life, which is a miracle. Yes. It makes me so happy to hear this. And this is exactly why we're doing this podcast to make sure we repeat that over and over that it is possible as long as you're you know, kind of willing to listen and try. So I do have more questions on this. I'm fascinated by just, you know, not having knowledge um, or experience with this. So do you, both of you, I mean, do you feel like a detox? Um, so two things, is it, is it necessary for everyone at the end of the day? Is it necessary for everyone? And then part two is, is it worse to detox based on how long you've been on um, alcohol or drugs? Uh, so, yeah, um, I think for the cocaine users, I, I think, you know, the only two types of detox, detoxes that can kill you that aren't medicated that I'm, that I'm aware of is benzos and uh, alcohol. So a- absolutely for those two. Yeah. I mean, they ha- absolutely have to have a detox, medicated detox with the opiates and the cocaine, you know, the cocaine guys, you know, they, they're kind of lucky, you know, they can, you know, they can eat a Whataburger. Uh, I got a little, little pun in for t- little Texas pun right there for you. They, they can eat a, they can eat a Whataburger and take a, you know, a two day nap and, you know, they're, they're, they're ready to, to get busy with the work. Hmm. Um, but with the, the opiate guys, I mean, it's just, I mean, it takes it, you know, you basically go from feeling on top of the world to feeling at the lowest of the lowest place of your life. And so, yeah, it takes, it takes time. It, you know, I would, certainly recommend, you know, a detox for the opiate, the alcohol, and the, and the benzo guys. But, you know, the, the cocaine guys, I mean, Peter, throw them a water burger and let them sleep for a couple of days and tell them to get busy. <laughs> it's all mental. Yeah, it's mental. That's crazy. Meth and, and cocaine are, are really just mental pieces where it's, it's just like the opiates, but you don't have that physical pain. But would a would a detox from either of those help, or is it, or you really don't need it in those cases? I think I, I don't think, think it helps in every scenario. You don't need it. I just think it helps because it gets you physically removed from it to the point where it's out of your system completely, without you being able to, you know, call someone and say, "Hey, let me get a, a eight ball of cocaine or or whatever it is." But mm-hmm. I mean, if you're, if you're fully in a position where you're, you're submitting and you're like, look, I will do anything you tell me to do to stay sober. I mean, if you get a hold of somebody who can help you get through that work and, and kind of help talk you through that detox, they, they definitely don't need it hmm. in my opinion. Okay. Yeah. I don't think they need it. Yeah. But you know, my, my willingness at treatment was like, I, I would have done anything if they would have told me to dig a 10 foot canal from New York to California the rest of your life to stay sober. Like I would have, I would have picked up a shovel, <laughs> shovel started yep. digging. I, I wanted to be free. And there's yeah. a lot of people be like, well, you know, I'm not willing to, to give a lot of effort here, but I, I kind of would like to be sober. You, you're not going to get very far with that. 
you're not going to get anywhere no. with that attitude. The first question that that if you're if you're sponsoring somebody and taking somebody through the work, uh, the first question you ask them is after you qualify them as a real alcoholic or a real drug addict, like we've talked about before, is you know, are you willing to go to any lengths to stay sober? And wow. you know, people will sit there and say, well, there's some things that I'm not really willing to do. And at that point you kind of have your answer as to if that person's going to be able to make it or not, because it, it takes some, some pretty heavy leveling of the pride and, and focus to be willing to walk through everything that you have to do, you know? Yeah. There's an actor, uh, a famous actor named Charlie. I'm not going to say his last name, but, uh, <laughs> you know, he said, he said a certain, uh, 12 step fellowship that I attend, he says, it's a bootleg cult that doesn't work. And I could see how he would say that because he's not willing to go to any length, you know? Right. Um, yep. But if you're, if you're willing to go to any length and clean up the wreckage of your past and, and try to make things right and continue to seek a spiritual way of life, you know, we're not asking you to do anything. Basically we're asking you to do the 12 things. We're right. asking you to do 12 things, 12 things. If you're willing to do these, in my experience, you're, you're, you're guaranteed to stay sober through anything. And the three things that it says that you need, the only three things that you need to have to successfully get through this is enough honesty, humility, and willingness. If you have those three things, you have what you need to get through those 12 steps. And you're guaranteed a, you're guaranteed to recover from that obsession that tells you you can do it like a normal person. It's a guarantee. That's great. That's really great. And that's been my experience too. Yeah, I, I love hearing that from both of you. And so a uh, couple things, other things that I've heard that I want to either confirm or debunk. Can, can a family member or friend or someone that's gone through this detox you? <laughs> I've done it. Um, I, I've, I've, I have helped somebody go through a detox um, who, who couldn't get into a detox at one point. And he said, look, I have some Suboxone. I'd like to detox on your couch for a few days if you can help me. And I did administer Suboxone to him because I was in a, I was in fit spiritual condition to actually do that and, and, and help him get through it. And he actually ended up staying sober. He lives in Kerrville, Texas uh, still. However, that is not, not recommended. <laughs> uh, no, no, it's not common. And, and, you know, I don't, I don't really think that, um, I like playing doctor, uh, right. for, for, nor should we. Right. And that. I think, you know, I, no. I feel like I've heard parents try to be the hero or, you know, that question has come up and, um, it seems like, you know, people's pride potentially could get in the way just by thinking they're going to save somebody. And I really, you certainly are an outlier of somebody that has, you know, gone through it and, and could have done that. But for, for those listening, I would assume that we just say, seek help of, of those that are informed and um, educated on that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I needed to be, you know, my experience is, is that I needed to be separated from society for a little while. You know, the, the alcoholic and addict is a great manipulator. I mean, even as a sponsor, you know, my, you know, I've had sponsees that just continue to amaze me with their manipulation tactics. And, you know, I really think that, you know, they need some, I, I needed to be separated. I needed that separation from society. So basically I needed somebody to take my phone, take my truck, take my keys and say, sit down, shut up and take some direction. Like yeah. I, I needed, yep. I needed that. That's just, you know, where I was at, even with the willingness to want to get sober, like I needed somebody to, 
take my freedom from me for a little bit to, to be placed in a position where I could hear the message. That's great. What, um, where, where do you find a detox and what does it cost? That's another thing I've heard a lot of questions about. Well, the good thing, you know, you know, now, I mean, anybody can go on Google and find, you know, uh, I remember, you know, when I was getting sober, like I was looking at this thing where they had this like certain chamber in, in uh, Florida where you could lay in this chamber and it would like basically reset your mind and, and you wouldn't have any, <laughs> any detox symptoms at all. And it was like $10,000. I'm like, Oh my God, that's oh. what I'm going to do. That sounds amazing. <laughs> that sounds amazing. And, uh, yeah. Like here's 10 grand, make it go away. You know, Fat. yes, please. Yes, please. I'll have two. Can I pay 15 <laughs> and make it faster? Uh, but um, I think you can find, you know, you ask around the recovery community and, you know, get on Google and, you know, I know of a bunch just because, you know, obviously, you know, I've been around sobriety for a long time, but it shouldn't be too hard to find. But I think any medically medical institution that op- offers uh, medical detox from you know, drugs and alcohol should be pretty simple to find on, on the internet. Through, yeah, through insurance. And then, you know, for people who may not have insurance or may not be able to use that, there are absolutely detox facilities out there that'll take you in for, you know, three to seven days and they aren't really going to break the bank. Um, what do we know, mean by that? Is that a hundred bucks or what do we mean? Uh, there's a lot of different costs that I've seen through time. I mean, some, some will cost a thousand bucks, some will cost 400. Uh, it just depends on the length of stay and, and what it entails and, and what you're actually getting off of. But it's, it's not as expensive as going to a full on 30 to 60 to 90 day rehab facility because that detox is just there to help you get physically removed from, from the alcohol or from the drugs and do it in a safe manner. Right. I think I paid like $3,800 in 2010 and I had health insurance, but it just didn't, didn't cover, uh, you know, substance abuse. So <clears throat> basically my medications were covered by my insurance company, but, uh, you know, all the doctor and the, the stay in the, uh, at the detox because I stayed there for basically five nights before I went to the treatment center. And I think it was between uh, close to $4,000, maybe 3,700, 3,600, something like that. Yeah. And we will, um, we'll share some resources as well um, when we get this thing up um, and encourage people to kind of reach out to those if they're feeling helpless about it. But I think the moral of the story is there are options um, pretty much for everyone. We just have to kind of dig and, and get some assistance for people to be helped. That's great. And thank you guys for the, for the detox chat. And I want to come back to that um, at the end after we talk about rehab a little bit. I'm, I'm really curious. I mean, Chris, I went and saw you in rehab the first two times. I I wasn't, uh, I never was in Texas with you, but I'm curious to know just, you know, from both of you, just your experiences at rehab. And I don't, I don't necessarily mean the, you know, path to getting better part. I kind of want to know the, the good, the bad and the ugly of just like, what's it like being in there and anything you want to share stories or um, insights for those of us that that haven't been there um, just to kind of paint the picture for the people that uh, might be trying to paint the picture in their own head. (laughs) So my my experience, I'll, I'll just give you a quick rundown and Bubba, you can share too. So uh, the first two times I went to treatment, like I said, I, there was no medical detox. I came off cold turkey and I think it took me like, you know, four to seven days to start feeling better. And uh, the one thing I will say is I, I don't think that it's fair for me to say that some rehab facilities are, are staring you down the wrong direction or not, but 
I was told that, you know, I wasn't able to go through the 12 steps quickly and that I would have to wait and it would take me about a year to get through the process. So my experience in the first two rehabs that I went to, I didn't do any step work. Uh, I did go sit through 12 step classes on the first three steps, sometimes the first four steps, and I would learn about them. Uh, which was great. And, and they would talk about spirituality and God and, and how you create your own conception. Um, but, but my main experience there was we would go to a lot of group sessions and talk about how we felt. And um, I would have a one-on-one session with my, my counselor and, you know, would talk about how I felt some more and then what we would do afterwards. But I, I never really dove into uh, the root of my troubles, which we, we learned once we get into the, to the work that it's selfishness and it's my own mind. You know, I have a very selfish and self-centered mind and it runs my life, you know, and, and, you know, getting to the root of that, if I want to get better from this thing, I have to be rid of all that selfishness and, and, or it's going to kill me, you know? So I do remember the, one of the counselors that I asked from that place, I said, look, for some reason, I feel really bad. Like I feel like shit during the day when I'm in rehab it was really kind of baffling to me. And then at night, for some reason, I don't know if you felt this way, though, but at nighttime, I kind of would like wake up a little bit and I would start to feel a little bit better and my anxiety would lift. And, and I don't know why that happened, but I, I asked the counselor, I said, hey, I, I feel really bad during the day, but then for some reason at night, I, I start to feel a little bit better. And she looked me in the eyes and she said, I felt that way for my first 18 to 24 months of my sobriety. And um, that's not going to go away until you until your brain is healed and until you stayed clean and, and, and away from it for a while. And I, and I, I remember feeling as hopeless as I could possibly feel in that moment, because I'm, I'm a pretty weak minded person and, and I don't like mental pain and anxiety. I run from it. And that's why I, you know, would use drugs and, and drink. And um, I just remember feeling just lost and hopeless when I heard that. And it wasn't until the third time I went to treatment where as soon as I got there and as soon as I was physically removed from the drugs and alcohol and, and with detox, I mean, I dove into the 12 steps within my first week of being there. And I was in a first step class and then I was in a second step class and I was in a third step class. And, you know, within three weeks of being in treatment, I was on my ninth step, which there's a lot of healing that occurs from, from one to nine. You know, it's, it's basically the entire program sum, summed up into, into that group. And um, I remember, thinking about how, how that woman told me I was going to feel anxious and, and, and fearful throughout the day, but then better at night for a long time. And I remember smiling because I was like, wow, I, I, I don't ever have to feel that again. And that obsession to, to drink and use drugs was actually lifted. And I was no longer struggling in the morning when I woke up to get through my day and, and be truly happy with no fear involved. And thank God for running into the, to the right people that, that, allowed me to get through the, the work quickly and have an experience like that because you know I'm a sick puppy and I need I need a solution pretty quick or I'm going to go back to, to the stuff that makes me feel better in the moment and and you know I would have died from this thing if I didn't do that so that was kind of a brief overview of my experience yeah my experience I um you know I had this the last time you know, when I was in treatment in 2010, was it was incredible. I, uh, you know, obviously I was detoxing, which wasn't fun, but um, I got busy on the work. You know, there was guys there that were like, you know, I'm, I'm not going to do the step. This is like prison. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. 
<laughs> and uh, I can tell you that the facility was not like prison. You know, there, you know, we had a pool. We went to the beach every day, meditated. You know, it was pretty Gucci. Mm. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, I got busy. You know, they're like, "Here, this is what you need to do for step one." I was like, "Boom, boom, boom." Step two, boom, boom. You know, like I wanted to get experience the freedom that I'd experienced before, and uh, so I, had a, you know, I had a really good experience. And you know, I have a gratitude club. Two of the guys that I went to treatment with, and we write three things that we're grateful for every single day and we've done this since you know basically since we got out of treatment we do it every day we don't miss a day we send three things we're grateful for every single morning upon awakening and uh I love that you know it's an absolute it's an absolute brotherhood you know there's a guy that chris has met named marty that you know that i went to treatment with that is probably one of my best friends and will be for the rest of my life that you know he'll be on um, this podcast soon too <laughs> yeah he's 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 legit i love him you know, I've, I've met my brothers and, you know, I, I met Chris through that same treatment center because he went to work there, you know, a couple of years later. You know, all my friends are in recovery as a result of going to treatment. And uh, I, I had a, just a, an incredible experience in treatment. You know, like I said earlier, the weekends were really hard on me because, you know, we didn't have much structure on the weekends. But uh, during the week, you know, they, they keep you busy in the step work. And uh, it was it was just what I needed. I, I strongly recommend anybody that has the resources to go to treatment that was anywhere remotely sick as I was, get help. Yeah, that's Absolutely. great. What uh so like total third grade level, like what's rehab like as far as like right when you walk in the door, what's your day to day like? Like you have a roommate, I think, right? And you do like what what's kind of a normal day in rehab like? <laughs> um, I would wake up and you know, basically I would, you know, try to get a little exercise in, we do a little meditation in the morning for 15 minutes, do a, re you know, inspirational reading with the, you know, the God of your understanding. You know, I was, I was scared at first, you know, like, you know, what's going to happen with my business? What's going to happen with my family? What, you know, is my wife going to leave me? Is my wife going to stay with me? <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but no, seriously, it was, uh, you know, and then, you know, we would have a group mid morning, you know, eat some breakfast, have a group mid morning, have another, have a uh, process group before lunch, go to lunch and then, you know, come out of lunch and, you know, they would teach a uh, relapse prevention class after lunch. And then, you know, mid afternoon, we would do another group and then, uh, you know, basically we'd have a break time, a little bit of downtime, do a little exercise, uh, walk around, um, and then, uh, have dinner and, maybe have a meeting in the evening and go to bed and do it again. Hmm. You have a, like a roommate and some amenities and it is not prison, right? <laughs> no, it was, yeah, I, I had three roommates, which I was not crazy about. I, I called them and, you know, before I went there and said, you know, I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty successful guy, you know, I'm, you know, I, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to have my own, you know, king size bed and cable TV and laptop, right? You were that guy. And massage therapist every day. Yeah. 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 Like I'm a big deal, guys. Come oh. on now. And I got there and I had, you know, three roommates, guys I normally would not mix with in, in the outside world. But, you know, there were guys there like Marty and uh, that I got to meet. And uh, it was good for me to be around those other uh, personalities just because uh, it kind of prepares you for for, you know, what it's going to be like when you get out, because, you know, you got to learn to so cope true. with some things. You got to learn to cope with things, situations that, you know, you really, you really don't want to cope with, but you got to, you got to, you know, you got to go through it. Yep, for sure. And, and then resource wise, I, I assume there's plenty of whatever you need um, counselors, you know, folks that are walking you through um, recovery and um, kind of anything you really need in there. Correct. Yeah. For me. Uh, yeah. There was, 
I had a, you know, a really good therapist. I, you know, I had, you know, basically you have your, your main therapist and then you have process groups with other therapists and, uh, you know, you basically, a guy that's been there longer gets to basically kind of break you down, break it, break down the steps for you, which teaches him how to basically carry the message when he gets out of treatment. And, uh, you know, Marty, he was kind of my, my big brother in treatment to kind of, cause he, he had been there for 45 days when I got there, 40 days when I got there and he was there for all 45 days. I was there in five extra days. Cause you know, obviously he needed and it. And he needed it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's just, um, you know, they, they, they provided the help that I needed professionally and uh, socially. I mean, you're covered with love when you go to rehab. I mean, people, people that work there for the most part are there to, to help you in your darkest times of life, you know, and there's nothing that you, that you can't get through mentally without having a group full of people who are both in treatment and work for the shooting facility that are there to hug you all the way through or, or, you know, walk shoulder to shoulder the whole way through with you. And, and um, I mean, there are some incredible things happening in those facilities. And, and uh, sometimes I'm like, you know, I look back on it. I'm like, I was so afraid of going to treatment. And now, you know, nine years later, you know, I've been sober for nine years or whatever. And I'm like, I wouldn't mind going back to treatment for, for a couple of weeks just kind of take a little break. You know? <laughs> yeah, no. And, and like, I'm sure you, you don't, you know, take full advantage of, of that, you know, especially potentially on your first, your first time in, if you're going to go multiple times, but like, did you, was it pretty easy to grasp that much love and like immediately, or is that overwhelming when you first get there? Um, it, for me, I mean, I was just so desperate for anything. I was reaching for straws. Yeah, it was, it was easy for me to, to lean on those therapists and the, the brothers that I met there. And, you know, the, the owner of the treatment center was there most days. And he said, you know, all we're trying to do in this facility is incubate a spiritual experience. And, mm. and, uh, and I just kind of thought about a baby, you know, in an incubator and, you know, kind of felt like, you know, we're basically trying to, you know, facilitate the birth of a new life you know, and, uh, a, a, an awakening, if you will, like to your higher self. And, uh, yeah. yeah so, I mean, it, it came along pretty quick and pretty, pretty amazing. That's great. So, uh, Chris, we talked and, and Bubba, just so you know, we talked a bit, uh, the last time around with just Chris and I about, uh, the difference between, you know, a, a hard drinker, hard user, um, and a real addict, real alcoholic, moderate, um, all that. So do, do, I mean, Chris, I guess we'll start with you. Do you feel like a hard drinker or a hard user should go to a rehab? Is that an option for them? Like kind of what's the difference? Cause we've talked about that fine line. Um, there is definitely a difference between a real addict and a real alcoholic, but are some hard drinkers and hard users, you know, bad off enough that they could benefit from a rehab? I think everybody can benefit from rehab, but, yeah, but realistically, like <laughs> you know, re realistically, a hard drinker or a hard user, given a sufficient enough reason, uh, the difference between them and a real addict or real alcoholic is given a sufficient enough reason, they're going to be able to stop yeah. on their own and, and they're going to be able to put the, put the bottle down or, or put the pill down and, and walk away from it and, it's just, it's my experience seeing it time and time again with other addicts and alcoholics and, and, and with myself that, you know, if you're a real deal alcoholic and drug addict, you have that mental piece that, that it, it will not go away uh, until you 
get in fit spiritual condition and, and until you have a spiritual experience through actually going through the work and, and going through the experience. So, yeah. you know, I think that hard, hard drinkers and users make their way into treatment facilities, but, you know, most of the time they, they don't necessarily end up there because when they make that decision to put it down and stop, you know, a lot of the time, not every time, but a lot of the time, you know, um, they can stop on their own. And yeah. that's the big difference between, between the two. Bubba, would you agree? Absolutely. I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, the great obsession in my life was to control and enjoy my drinking. And then, you know, and that obsession flipped to the great obsession in my life was how to stop and avoid drinking. And uh, I just could not, I could not stop. And uh, um, I think, you know, that the, you know, our text that, that keeps us sober uh, talks about, you know, the moderate drinker who can take it or leave it talks about the, uh, the, the heavy drinker that drinks like an alcoholic, but given sufficient reason can make a decision. Like let's say he gets a DWI or gets a, um, you know, a threatened with divorce or threatened with the loss of his career or whatever. He makes that decision and he's able to act on that decision. The real alcoholic may make that same de- decision and mean it with the, you know, like he may promise his wife, I will never drink again. And he will mean it with, every inch of his fiber, but given some time, you know, the, the, the idea to drink again will win out and he will drink mm-hmm. again. So I was never able with sufficient, you know, force. I was not able to uh, stop on my own. I just wasn't. Yeah. So I guess, I guess my answer to your question is, you know, if I was able to stop on my own, I wouldn't have gone to treatment or a 12 step fellowship. I would just stop. So I don't know if they would really need treatment, but the real alcoholic or the real addict or, or, you know, maybe worth going and finding out if you are, you know, especially if you're, you know, if if you feel like you're down for the count, like I was, you know, go find out. I had a guy tell me when I first got sober, he said, Bubba, the greatest gift that I've ever been given is the curiosity uh, to see if this program would work for me, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and And I still think the curiosity for me is like, I wonder if this thing will work for me. And it has. Right. That's great. Um, I think then, you know, next up, and it kind of relates to that is for those rehab, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, tends to be a bit pricier. Um, insurance can be an option. It's kind of similar to what we were talking about before that there are, there are options out there, but for those who, who truly just cannot afford to go to a rehab is a detox enough um, assuming there is somebody that can then walk you through the 12 steps from there yes it, it is and yeah and there's also you know once we start being able to offer some names of places that we would highly recommend going I mean there are I was on the phone with a guy in, in Dallas today who, who can't really quite kick a meth addiction and, and his life is kind of crumbling apart and doesn't have the financial means to go to a rehab facility or have health insurance, you know, there, there are free places as well that are great. You know, it's kind of like a two part thing here. You know, if you don't have the money or means to go, absolutely. There are places that you can get into that we can recommend. But then on top of that, if you are in a position where you truly can't go to treatment because of family or because of something where it's, it's literally impossible to go do it, you can, you can go to a detox and you can get detox from this thing. And as long as you have that honesty, humility, and willingness to go through the work and a, and a sponsor who's willing to, to do that with you, 
um, you can absolutely get well from this stuff. I, I think my answer to your question would be the, the really cool part about our program. Yes. So the answer is yes. Like go to, like if you're an opiate addict or an alcohol or a benzo addict, like go get a detox. And then if you can't afford treatment, go to a guy like Chris or myself, because, you know, we're in a 12 step program, not an 11 step program. And our 12 step is that once we've had the spiritual awakening, we, you know, basically our whole purpose in life, is to carry this message to another alcoholic or addict who still suffers. And so it is our duty and it's how we stay sober is by helping the next guy. So, right. you know, there's guys like Chris and I that are dying, literally dying to help, you know, people that want to try this way of life. It's, right. it's our, it's our duty. We love it. Yep. And I think the, the, another reason for us doing this is we will provide those resources. I think it seemed, I could, I could see how it would feel overwhelming, especially if you're um, maybe the first family member that somebody has known that's going through this and kind of like where we were back, Chris, when you first were struggling, it, it's very overwhelming and scary and hard. It seems hard to find these, but a big part of the podcast is that we can kind of just put a, put a microscope on this and be able to say, you know, here's who you call. So we'll be sure that we share those resources as well um, to make sure it's exactly. as easy as possible for everybody to uh, be able to reach out and to us as well. That's really great. Thank you guys for that. Um, and then I think just to close things out, we, we do have a couple questions that people sent in um, that I think are pretty standard. Um, some are interesting that if you don't mind, we'll just answer and hopefully we'll be able to get a couple more of these as we move forward. This one's interesting. Somebody is asking when struggling with addiction, so the two of you, what's something that people you know, might always believe is true, um, but is not necessarily true? And I know I'm putting you guys on the spot here. So if one um, or both of you uh, has a thought there um, of something that you know, maybe I believe as, as somebody that's not an addict is true and that's just not, I would love to, to share any thoughts you have. Um, I, would, I, I would like to answer that. So I think that, you know, for me, I was like, you know, something that I, a misconception I had is like, once I take drugs and alcohol out of my life, like my life is going to be so boring. I'm not going to have anything to do. Um, yep. You know, like I'm not going to have a social life. My friends aren't going to want to hang out with me anymore because I'm not drinking. What am I going to tell my employer when he wants to buy me a beer? Like, and in, in the, in the, it just, it goes on and on. But the truth is, is my life is so full today. I still do everything that a normal free man does. I just don't put alcohol in it. I go to Vegas, I take trips, I play <laughs> golf. I, you know, I travel, I have wonderful, you know, intimacy with my wife. I, you know, I'm able to do all these things that a normal man does. I just don't add alcohol in it. And I used to be so ashamed of like telling people like, yeah, um, I don't drink. And, you know, that was like such a big deal to tell people that. But really, people don't really care. They're like, so what? I mean, a lot of my friends drink and, you know, they can get drunk. They can have a buzz. You know, they can do whatever they want to do. I just, I, and I hang out with everybody. I just don't put alcohol in my body to do it because I know where it leads me. And I'm not bored. If anything, my life is overflowing with things to do. You know, I, you know, I hunt, Absolutely. I fish, I, I golf, I you know, I do all these things that I thought I would have to give up. Yeah. Uh, in fact, my life has gotten enriched because my alcohol told, you know, I took, I told you that it, I became a lone wolf because like I isolated and drank and used and, you know, they ask you like, do you ever drink alone? Of course I drink alone. Do you use alone? Yes, I dr use alone. I prefer it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yep. 
but now like I'm doing all those things that I dreamt about doing that I was, you know, basically sitting on a couch and avoiding because, you know, I was basically throwing my life away. So that would be my answer to to that question. Love that. I have a quick answer to it and then we can move on to the next one. My, my quick answer was going to be that, you know, you aren't going to be confined to a life that's boring and glum. There's absolutely zero truth in that whatsoever. And then, and then also the idea that I'm going to struggle daily to stay sober and be happy because you know, when, when you're sitting there and you're just getting, you know, you're just fresh and you're getting sober, the idea of never picking up a beer or a drink or being able to pop a pill, that thought goes through, went through my mind a whole lot. And, and I couldn't imagine um, staying sober and, and being happy for the rest of my life and not being able to stay away from it. And, and the truth is, is, I've been sober since 2011, Bo has been sober since 2010. And, and I know for a fact that both of us have not struggled to stay sober the entire time. Once, once we really submitted to this way of living and, and, and got through the work that you're supposed to put in. And then, and then as long as we're helping other people, you know, you get well, you get better. You don't have as much fear. You know how to deal with all of your problems. You know how to, to, to get through life without running away from things. You don't struggle. You wake up and, and you don't think about like, oh, how am I going to stay sober today? You wake up and you think about like, what do I want to do today? How am I going to be the best version of myself today? And that's such a cool thing that, that it is given to you when you actually get into this. Yeah, no, that's, that's totally great. Um, and thank you both for that. Cause I think it's a very strong answer from both of you. And it's super helpful too, um, especially for those struggling out there. Bubba, this one, certainly for you, just knowing you have um, a family and wonderful kids, there was somebody that wrote in asking about, you know, the fear of what might be in the genetic makeup of children um, and how do you educate kids? Um, so especially, you know, for you in your life, like how do you help guide them knowing that, you know, you went through this and, you know, any fears maybe that you had that they could suffer as well? I, so I think alcohol ism and addiction is a you know is a family disease and it'll you know it can it can skip a generation or what you know whatnot but you know my sister was a you know she absolutely drank and used like i did at, you know at, at our in our developing years but you know she's she decided she was going to have kids and she made a decision like okay i'm going to stop doing this now she basically turned off a switch and uh mine just got worse and worse and so, and then, you know, my dad was, a you know, absolute chronic gambling addict, losing hundreds of thousands of casinos and stuff. And so addiction and alcoholism, you know, runs deep in, in my family. So, you know, I think, I definitely think my kids are predisposed to developing some of this. Um, my kids are young, they're 10 and six. So, you know, it's, I don't think now's the time to talk about why dad goes to meetings. They just know that dad goes to meetings and they know that dad meditates and they know that dad prays and they know that all of dad's friends are, or 90% of dad's friends are sober. And, and, uh, that, you know, we do these meetings and we don't drink. And, you know, I think my son knows what the 12 step fellowship is and the name of it and that, but, um, I think, you know, when they get a little bit older, you know, say maybe 14 or, you know, around that age, I'll talk to them and tell them, you know, about my real struggle and, you know, what drinking was like for me. And uh, I would never encourage my kids, you know, not to drink. You know, it's such a social accepted norm in this country to drink. I mean, you know, if you can drink and blow some steam off and have fun and 
not go to the extremes that I did, I tip my hat to that. You know, yeah. my wife, my wife drinks, she'll drink wine or vodka or whatever. And we have alcohol in the house. And it's not like, you know, alcohol and drugs were not the problem. You know, they were the solution for me. And so, uh, you know, I'm certainly not going to, you know, shelter my kids from the beer aisle or, you know, seeing movies with alcohol in it. Like, I hope that they can live a normal, yep. full, full life, and and hopefully they'll they'll be able to, you know, to drink like gentlemen's or a lady. Um, but if they do struggle, you know, luckily their dad is well connected and, and knows a solution uh, to what uh, to how to get help if if they do struggle. Yep, yep, for sure. I'm going to combine, you know, the next year, just a couple more and, and thanks for hanging in guys. But, um, so next one is kind of a two part, but somebody wrote in asking just about a family member. That's an alcoholic, always them always wanting to know why, you know, this person hasn't said anything and why they don't ask for help. Chris, we'll go to you on this one. Like why, why, why is it the case that somebody would not be at the point that they're asking for help? <laughs> I think there's a, a loaded question, right? <laughs> Yeah, it's a loaded question, but um, from from my experience with myself and what I've seen is sometimes the person's just not ready and, and not in a position where they would be willing to actually give up that crutch or that pill or drink that they've been relying on to make them feel better because the idea of, of living sober and, and living a completely different way of life is crippling how, how, how much fear um, – a crippling amount of fear and the other the other thing is I think some people may not may not want other people to know or to to see them as weak or or know that they are having issues with with relying on something else that that could be a pretty strong hit to their pride you know and that's why we've talked so much about how the families can help without enabling I, I think my answer is that they may just not be there or they may be too afraid to ask for help. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. And I, I think that goes along with everything else that, that we've talked about as well, especially with the just feeling, feeling awful to start with. Right. And, um, you know, not asking for help is, is kind of deeper down the hole. So I, I understand that for sure. And then I think, you know, second, the follow-up to that is, um, and Bubba, maybe you can answer this one. How do you deal with somebody who, who isn't ready to get sober. So you know a loved one is struggling and they just, they're just being stubborn, they're, they're there. I mean, we've talked about just showing love and pretty much that's what you can do. But if somebody is just really desperate as a family member to try and help somebody that's struggling, um, but they're just not ready or willing, ready or willing. Um, what do you do? Um, I think that, um, you know, I said earlier, you know, I told my story that the great obsession in my life was to control and enjoy my drinking. You know, I would try different brands, you know, I would try just to drink beer. I would try to only drink on the weekends. I'd try to only drink after three o'clock. You know, we're survivors and we're, you know, we are going to, you know, we're going to try to control and beat this game. You know, like I tried everything to beat, to beat the monster. And I just, I, I couldn't do it. I tried every trick in the book. And uh, so it takes what it, you know, it takes a lot to get somebody to say, you know what, I surrender. You're right. And mine wasn't, I didn't hit like a, a place where my wife says like, I'm going to leave you or I was going to lose my business or anything. I, I hit an emotional bottom that it's just like, I cannot live like this anymore. You know, I didn't know that it was going to, you know, give me the greatest gift of my life, but it was, you know, it felt like the worst day of my life, but it, you know, it turns out to be a day that I celebrate for the rest of my life, which is pretty cool. Um, it's ironic. Um, but 
I think that you just keep, uh, if my wife would have been telling me like, you need to get sober, you need to do this, you need to do that. Like I probably would have continued to do what I need to do, uh, to get by, even if I needed to leave her or whatever. So, you know, it's kind of a loaded question there too. It's hard, you know, but I, what I would do is encourage them to go to a 12 step meeting, uh, you know, try to get, try to get your own help to try to take care of, try to take care of you and see that you're going to be taken care of, that you're going to be okay. And then usually the addict or the alcoholic will be like, well, you know, I, I, I want to find out what it's like for me. You know, the, the, you know, it could get them curious to maybe find out, you know, that they're missing out on something like, what is all this about? You know, like maybe I should look into this, but right. it's, you know, it just takes a lot to, for the addict or the alcoholic to surrender. You know, I had a guy tell me, he said, Bubba, you know, when are you going to let God put a saddle on you? Hmm. And for whatever reason, that, that's, that question has always stuck with me. Like, you know, when are you going to surrender and, and let something else come into your life? And, uh, but you know, it's really hard to answer that because, you know, maybe there is a wife out there that, you know, if he, if the guy's getting physical or a, a wife's getting physical, like, yeah, leave, you know, do what you need to do for yourself to get healthy. Cause this is a family disease and, you know, your, your recovery is just as important as the addict or the alcoholics. Yep. And, and, and again, aligned with, with what we've talked about and just, you know, making it known, but, but showing, you know, strong love and then, you know, mm-hmm. getting the, getting the help that you need for you versus trying to, to nag or force on the addict or alcoholic, uh, which mm-hmm. is really hard. That's, the, <laughs> that's the hardest thing I think to understand. Um, and, and specifically, you know, for us and for me, when, we were going through this with Chris, that, that was the hardest thing. Cause you just want to reach out and help, but really it's focusing on yourself. Um, and Chris, I remember you said the exact same thing, I believe a couple of times ago. So, and then I think very last question, Chris, we'll start with you. Cause Bubba, you touched on this a little bit earlier, but Chris, did you get to the point? Have you gotten to the point where you don't feel defined by addiction and have, do you have a different identity now or are you on the path or where are you with not being an addict, but being you know, Chris Berry, and how did you overcome that? That's actually a really good question. <laughs> From a great it person, too. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So I, I kind of look at that as, as I somewhat do define myself as an addict, but not in a negative way whatsoever. I define myself as Chris Berry, of course, and, and what comes with that is that in my experience of life, part of my story is that I, I was a drug addict, and I still have the ability to become one if I don't do what it, it takes to, to remain in a state of peace to, to stay away from it. So honestly, when I meet new people, if I have an opportunity to tell them that I am that I, I am a recovered drug addict and alcoholic, I, I take that every single time. And, and it's not because I think um, I feel proud of what I've done in my life or like, oh, look at me and look what I've done. I think that I've gone through this terrible, terrible disease of, of addiction and so many struggles with it and come out the other side and my life has become so incredible that shame on me if I'm not willing to tell other people about it because there's been too many instances where I've come out as, as an addict to, to people that I've met who I've, I had never met before and the conversation turned into, wow, my, my son is struggling with that right now or my husband is struggling with that right now, or my dad or, or whatever. Oh, I, ha- I had a, a wife that, that died of alcoholism. It, there's so many stories. And I, I believe that every single person has been affected by this, 
disease one way or another, whether it was somebody that they knew, whether it was themselves, whether it was a family member. And I think that the more I talk about it, the more of an opportunity it, it, it gives us to come to a solution for either that person or the person that they know. And um, I never want to shy away from, from telling people that this is part of my story because it's just, it's too powerful. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Su- super powerful to kind of just spin it on its head. I love that. Well, I, I think let's close out. I know that both of you um, are just on just in great places and it makes me smile so much. And Chris, you and I chatted quite a bit actually, you know, about a week ago, a week and a half ago, just about your length of sobriety. And, you know, I think to give people hope out there who may um, relapse, I know this is kind of a strange path to go down, but we were talking about this, so it's topical. You guys have managed to stay sober for a a long time. And I know that people do struggle with relapse. And the last thing I would love just to touch on before we um, finish here is, you know, the strange theory that if you relapse, you start from scratch. And to give a little hope to people, I guess, out there um, who, who may, you know, go, uh, you know, two years, five years, 10 years, um, and then end up relapsing, Chris would love to just check in with you again on, you know, the, the kind of myth of starting from scratch once, once you've kind of relapsed and, and giving yourself some hope um, that you did go through it for that long. I would love to see if you could touch on that just for a minute. Yeah. My, and I'd like to hear Bubba's take on it too, but my take on it is, if you're sober for five years and then you relapse, that, that doesn't mean you lost five years of sobriety because the shame and guilt that comes along with the relapse, uh, I know a lot of people that continue to kind of go back out and start using and then come back and the amount of shame that you see with them, it's a lot. And it doesn't mean you lose five years of, of sobriety. You still have that in your life. You still stayed sober for five years of your life. It just means that you got to you got to pick your head up and submit again and hopefully get to a place where you're willing to go through the work again and pick back up and pick the tools back up that you have and and get well you know and and yes your your sobriety date to the world does change but i can be just as sick 10 9 years sober i can be just as sick spiritually and mentally 9 years sober as i was my second and first week of of rehab if i don't if i don't follow the tools and, and, and use the tools that have been given to me to stay in that, in that condition. So I think sobriety time is great for other people to see that it is possible, but um, you know, people that do relapse, I, I think that they should, they should be able to look at it as, wow, that was pretty cool that I stayed sober for five years. Yeah. There's a couple things I think about that is, <clears throat> you know, when I first came into the rooms uh, of, of uh, the 12 step fellowships, you know, like I could not relate to the guy that had 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. I'm like, that felt like eternity. I either thought, A, he's lying or B, that'll never happen for me. You know, but a guy that had 30 days, like that perked my ears up. And, um, you know, I think it's something that I've heard. And I think something that's important is the alcoholic or the addict is not a, a bad person trying to get good. They're, they're a good person trying to get well. You know what I mean? And, you know, the alcoholic, you know, and you'll see an addict, you I know, mean, when they come into the rooms, the self-esteem is just so low and the self-hatred and the shame and the remorse and the guilt and the, just the everything that they're carrying into that room. Um, it's so hard to get past that. And for, for an alcoholic to relapse is, you know, they got, they had to get to a really, really low place. And the last thing that they need to be told is like, well, you know, you got a day and basically, sh- you know, take the cotton out of your, ears and stick it in your mouth and you know like some of the you know hard 
hard-nosed lot tactics that we've heard, all heard before. They need to be treated with love and because they've been literally kicking the hell out of themselves for a while to get to that point. And Chris and I work with a lot of guys in recovery and, and we see relapse often. And I'll be the first guy to give the guy a second chance, a third chance, a fourth chance, a fifth chance. If they're doing what it takes to take care of themselves, uh, I, I'm, I'm buying in because I want to see Support them live. It. A lot of yep. people, you know, rather than, rather than picking up the drink or the alcohol, they'll pick up, they'll, they'll commit suicide. And, you know, I, I, I know nobody likes to talk about that, but the truth is, is that happens a lot, mm-hmm. a lot more than we want it to does. talk about. And if somebody, if, if it's, if it's a, a revolver or a, or a beer, like pick up the beer, you know, like you yeah. can get sober again. You can't, nobody's going to give you your life back. Right. And, nope. um, and I will, I'll be the first guy to love that guy back to health because that's what they need. And, and, and I know it that happen you know, to told, any of us. Yeah. And I told you relapse is a part of my story. The last thing I needed was somebody, you know, to beat me up. I didn't need to be beat up. I need to find how to love myself again. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that too. And I, I completely agree. And, and listen, a big part of this is just talking about it all. So um, that, that's, that's also a reality of, of part of what, what goes on. So thanks for sharing all that. Guys, this was fun per usual. I love chatting. Um, Bob, I really hope that we're, uh, we have you on as repeat guests soon um, as we learn new topics and meet new people. Um, We'd love to chat with Marty um, and a tons more to come, but um, thank you guys so much. You're the best. Proud of you both. Thank you. Awesome. Chat soon. Take care.